0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Amen. Powerful prayer, changing me, changing the world. Hey, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 this morning, as uh, so we take a look at a message entitled The Method of Prayer. Uh, Well, you're in uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to read you one verse from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so uh, they're walking along, and, and Jesus is praying, and they're observing it, and they're seeing it, and it's, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. The only thing recorded in Scripture the disciples ever asked Jesus was teach us to pray. So it was important enough for them to ask. It's probably one of those big asterisk things we should have in our lives. Lord, would you teach me to pray? Would you teach us how to pray? And he goes through in this point and he basically in Luke 11 does what we call the Lord's Prayer. We find it again over in Matthew chapter 6 and that's what we want to take a look at today as we think about the way the Lord taught his disciples To pray. So you've got your Bibles open. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read His Word. And I'm going to read starting in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word the privilege to hold it in our hands and the opportunity to read it. Lord, these amazing words that the Lord Jesus Christ taught his followers, they're an example for us. They're a model for us. They're a method for us as we consider um, our passion, our calling, our desire to cry out to you, Heavenly Father, the opportunity, the open opportunity, the welcome we have to do that, Lord, and yet, Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we do it so infrequently, and sometimes with motives that aren't pure. And so, Lord, would you teach us from your word today? Would you give us ears to hear and listen what your word's saying to us? Would you give us minds that we could understand it? And then, Lord, would you give us a passion to live out the things that Christ was teaching his followers in our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ? We pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, before we dive right into the actual prayer, as I read, there's a little bit of a preamble, some things that he says to them. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Prayer is not a show. Prayer is not something that you put on to impress People. He says in the text that you, you would not do it like the hypocrites do. The word hypocrite meant to wear a mask. And, and so, actors back when this was written, that's what they did. They wore a mask because they were playing something that they weren't. And he says, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. Now, be real before the Lord. Um, I think sometimes we get before each other and we put on our masks and all the rest. Can we just understand that God is in heaven and we are on earth and he is sovereign and you can put on a mask if you want, but he's not impressed by it. It doesn't fool him. And so they said, um, don't put on a mask. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't try and put on a show. Don't be trying to be impressive by your many words and your eloquent speech. You know, sometimes I think we um, scare people a little bit about prayer because um, people hear me pray at the front or one of the elders or people in public when they pray. And, and, uh, and so when we ask them to pray, they're like, oh, I, I could never do that. I could never do that. Are you kidding me? God's looking at your heart. He doesn't care about your words. Well, he cares about your words if they're wrong, but it's about your heart. It's about how you come to him. And the neat thing is, he encourages us to come. We are welcome to come. He desires that we come. And so the first thing is, prayer is not a show. The second thing is, prayer is about your heart. Prayer is about your heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at your heart. And so when you pray, when you pray, God sees not only the act of your prayer, but the motive of your prayer. And he's far more concerned about the motives that are behind our prayers Than how cool we sound, how good it looks. As a matter of fact, in the text, it says, hey, just go in your closet. Just go to your room, get before the Lord, no one else to impress, and you talk to the Lord. Some people think you have to use these and thous and say Jesus like after every second word. And just talk to the Lord. Just talk to him. And we go in Quiet. And we come before him and we're gonna see how we do that. But I love the way Jesus kind of, let's make sure we got everybody in their right place before we start. It's not a show, it's about your heart. In Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse two, it says this, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Go into your closet and come to your heavenly father and talk to him. But then there's also a great hope. The great hope of this text is that um, God knows before you even ask. God knows before you even ask. Look what it says in verse um, eight. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. If God is sovereign, if God is in control, if God is who we say he is, there's nothing you're going to pray. There's nothing you're going to ask for. There's nothing you're going to say to him and he's going to be in heaven and fall off the throne with, oh my goodness, where did that come from? He's God. He understands. He's on the throne. He knows what you need before you know what you need. And he desires that we would come to him and he will hear and answer our prayers so that's the preamble and now I need to talk about the elephant in the room when I was down in Michigan a month ago I bought this little elephant and uh, I've told the staff if you come into my office and the elephant is sitting on the desk it's because there's something we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. I was too cheap to buy a bigger elephant, but just a little elephant because I don't want people to come in. There's like a three foot elephant in the room and they're going to fearful, but a little elephant on my desk. I'm about to use it a couple of times. It's kind of neat. It kind of breaks the ice for all those kind of things. Well, well, there's an elephant in the room thing in this text. And I want to talk about it for just a minute. And then we're going to just dive right into the prayer. Here's the elephant in the room. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I didn't read it. I didn't read it. It's not in the ESV. It's not in a number of the versions. As a matter of fact, some of the versions you have, it will be in italics or it might even be in brackets. And uh, and so we're around here, we're a church that we just like proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. So let's just talk about the things that we need to talk about. Here's the reality is that verse. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Was not in the original manuscripts. It was not in the best manuscripts. It was added later on. And, um, and so now you know. We've talked about the elephant in the room. That's it. Why we're not going to deal with it. It wasn't in the early and the best manuscripts. It was left out. Now, it doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean you could never pray those words. For thine is the kingdom. Is it true? Of course it's true. Yours is the power. Is that true? Of course it's true. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Does God deserve all the glory? Of course it's true. Forever and ever, amen. Is that true? Of course it's true. It's all true, it's just not in the original. And, uh, and so we're not gonna deal with it because it wasn't there. Um, when I stood up in school as a little kid, when we used to say this prayer, we said that part. That was all part of what was said. It was added later. See, the thing is that this prayer has become a prayer that people think you're supposed to say. It was never designed as a prayer for us to repeat over and over and over again. How do I know that? Well, it just happens to say right in the Bible, pray then like this. It doesn't say pray this. It doesn't say this is the magic word, say this every time and everything will be fine. These are the things I want you to understand. These are the things I believe you need to know. And so as Jesus takes, Lord, teach us to pray, This is how you pray. And what we wanna take a look at this morning is seven keys to life-changing prayer. This is the core of prayer. This is the meat and potatoes, the bare essentials. This is the nitty gritty. This is the heart of the matter. Lord, teach us to pray. And I've broken it down into seven keys to life-changing prayer. Here's the first key to life-changing prayer. Focusing on the Father. The first thing we do when we pray is focus on the Father. Look what it says in verse 9 Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. We come to God in a relationship because we are called the children of God. Over in First uh, John, uh, 1 John uh, chapter three, it says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, this is an amazing verse. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I have been adopted as a son of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so when when the Lord is teaching and he starts out by saying, our father, he's talking about an amazing relationship that we have with God as his children. And so the question is, are you a child of God? Have you been adopted into God's family? Well, we're all God's children. Yeah, in a very general sense, that's true. But unless you've been adopted into God's family, you cannot call him your father. Our father. It speaks of an amazing relationship. And as Ephesians 1 said, that came to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. By faith in Christ, I become a child of God. And I have the right, the privilege, the honor to call him my father. So there I was outside of God's family, can't get into God's family, nothing I can do about it, I don't earn it, I don't deserve it, and God does the work, and now I'm called a child of God by simple faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ for me. He makes me his child, and now I can come to him and say, my father, or we can come and say, our father. Can you say that today? Can you say our father? Can you say that God is your father? Can you come to him, my father? It happens through the finished work of Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, you can't come like that. He's not your father. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be made just like you've never sinned. All of your sins, past, present, future, gone. You are adopted into the family of God. And now you come to the father, Abba, father, Abba, father. It literally comes out daddy, daddy, but it it sounds so lame in English. It sounds like we're bringing God down, but it's in the most respectful way possible. We come to him as our father. You know, I think of my dad, who's gone to heaven a long time ago. And uh, I know for some of you, this is gonna rock your world, but sometimes I disappointed my parents and uh, I wasn't always the angel I am today, and uh, there were times when my dad was disappointed in me, and there were times that, that um, I had to go to him, and there were times when I needed correction, and there were times when I needed discipline, and there were times I needed to go and ask for his forgiveness, and there were a lot of those times, actually. And you know what? He was always my father, he was always my father. He was my father when things were sweet, and he was my father when things weren't so sweet. But he was always my father, and I could always go to him. And so regardless, and we're going to come back to this in this message, regardless of where you think you are today, if you are in Jesus Christ, he is your father. So the first key to life-changing prayer is focusing on the reality that God is your Father, I'm going to give you a key word for each of these seven things. Here's the, here's the key word for focusing on the Father. The key word is relationship. We come to God in a relationship. Our Father. Here's the second key to life-changing prayer. It's we are engaged in vertical worship. We are engaged in vertical worship. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Isaiah and Isaiah 6 says, is holy, holy. Holy is the Lord. Uh, He understood it. He's on his face before God. He understood that God was in heaven and he was on earth and his words needed to be few. He's crying out to God because God is awesome in all of his working and all of his attributes and all of his blessings poured out on us. And when we come to God, we come in a relationship, but we also come to him in vertical worship. We come to him with adoration for who he is in his nature and praise for who he is in his character and thanksgiving for all that he's done, uh, starting with your salvation and just how he keeps you every day. Jesus is teaching them to pray and he says, make sure you get this thing going in the right way. As a matter of fact, the first four things we look at here are very much vertical. They're very much aimed towards God. And the last three are kind of how prayer works out in our life. And so Jesus starts out and he says, you get to focus on the father with a right relationship And then you engage in right and vertical worship filled with adoration and praise and thanksgiving. The first word is relationship, the second word is worship. The third principle and seven keys to life changing prayer is, is maintaining an eternal mindset maintaining an eternal mindset. We get so caught up in today and the things we want of the now and all the rest of it. But but look what the text says. It says in, um, in verse 10, it says, your kingdom come, and it says your will be done. We're coming back to that. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, uh, that's getting our eyes off of our stuff and our now, and getting our eyes on God and what He has for us—not only for the now, but for eternity. I find that the older I get, my eyes are starting to fix more and more towards what is coming and the Lord's return. Where am I going to be with Him? Uh, Sue and I have one parent left that is still on this earth, and then when that one's left, we are the old folks in our family. And all of a sudden, your perspective starts to change a little bit and. You get an eternal perspective. When I was 25 years old, I didn't have that. And, 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 but I'm learning it and I'm seeing it. And it's something that Jesus, I believe, is trying to teach us to get our eyes off of being fixed on everything right now and get our eyes fixed on an eternal mindset. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom, God. Not my kingdom. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Three things really quick that that spoke to me about, speaks to me about the reality that God is in control. It's not my kingdom. It's his kingdom. He is on the throne. He is God in control. The one who throws the stars into space. The one who keeps the earth spinning on his axis. The one who keeps us going around the sun at the right pace. The one who is the creator of all things. The one who loved me enough in my sin to send Jesus Christ to die for me. The one who keeps me moving forward in my sanctification as I grow up in Jesus Christ. That's the God who we're focused on. Your kingdom come on earth. God, your will here on this earth. Your will for the plan right now. That's the second thing. God's plan right now. God's working in us. God working in our church. God working in our land. God working around the world for his glory. God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What a great looking forward hope we have. I read 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Again, it said this, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. I have a, I have a focus maintained, an eternal mindset that speaks to me of my allegiance That's the word for this point, allegiance, having a right allegiance with God. I'm in alliance with a heavenly father looking forward to his kingdom. A right relationship, a right worship, a right allegiance. Hey, the fourth thing, keys to life-changing prayer, acknowledging, ready, God's way is not my way. God's way is not my way. that's found right in the middle of verse 10. Your will be done. Your will be done. Okay, a moment of honesty here today. Can you say that that was your heart and your passion all week this week? Lord, here's what I want. I only want one thing, one thing, only one thing, Lord, that your will would be done, that your will would be done. You never got off track on that and got got covetous or got selfish. It's like, no, Lord, what you want, that's what I want. I only want one thing, Lord. I want what you want. It goes back to how we were before we were in Christ. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, what we want always leads, always leads out to a bad end. And when it's about how good we are and how we think we're gonna present ourselves before God, uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its ends are the ways of death. And we end up when we're on our path and doing our thing, we end up separated from God with no hope for eternity in hell. Because the way that we think is right is not the way that is right. Your will, God. Your will. God's will for us is perfect. Not always easy. God's will for us is is going to um, bring us much joy, sometimes through hardship. Um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Proverbs three, five, and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Your will be done. Ephesians 5:17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Foolish people are people who are thinking I'm gonna work it out my way, I'm gonna get my stuff, I'm gonna get all my ducks in a row, and, and God will get the leftovers, right? Yeah, no. Therefore, do not be foolish, but strive hard, go after, seek after what is God's will. For you First Peter 2:15 says, "For this is the will of God that by doing good here's a cool thing, when you do the will of God, by being good, doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people." Hebrews 10:36 says, "For you have need of, en- of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." Acknowledging that God's way, not my way, your will be done. I read this quote this week. It goes like this. One might rightly wonder why God wants us to pray that his will would be done as if he were not able to accomplish it himself. God is more than able to do his will without our prayer or cooperation. Yet he invites the participation of our prayers, our hearts, and our actions in seeing his will will be done okay church so what is there in your life right now and when i talk about it you're going would you stop doing that application stuff you tick me off and you do that well what is there in your life right now and you're like i know that's god's will for me and i know i'm not doing it see the word here is submission The word that goes here is submission. We start with relationship. We have worship. We have this allegiance to God. And then we have submission. God, I don't want what I want anymore. I want what you want. And what God wants, when it becomes what you want, that's when you're in the sweet spot in your life. You don't have to have all that stuff. You don't have to have all those things that you were going for. It's like, Lord, I just want what you want. The word is submission. Well, seven keys to life-changing prayer, they change a little bit here. The focus is now more on us and how we grow in these things. He says, um, we have to depend totally on God's supply. That's the next key to life-changing prayer, depending totally on God's supply. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. James 4, 2 and 3 says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He was already dealing with that in the first verses about having a right attitude and a right motive. You don't have because you don't even ask. And then when you do ask, you're so selfish in what you want, there's no way you're getting that. But we're told to ask God to come to him with a petition. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the supplication part of prayer. This is where we cry out to God for all kinds of different things. Now, these people understood what this meant different than we do today. I went out and bought a loaf of bread the other day and I'm pretty sure if I left it on the counter, there's enough preservatives in it that it still won't be green when Jesus comes back. Okay? It's, just, it's just filled with all kinds of who knows what. Right? But they knew... They had to get bread every day. Most of them got paid on a daily basis. And so when he says, give us this day our daily bread, uh, they understood the, the need for that sustenance and on a daily basis to come before the Lord. And there's a principle in here for us that we need to learn. It's not like you throw something out for your kids and it's like, okay, that's covered it for the rest of their lives. We, we had the Bakers and the Fernandezs up here. And it's not like, well, Pastor Paul prayed for their salvation. We never need to pray for that again. Are you kidding? You pray for the salvation of your kids every day. And then after they're saved, you are continuing to pray for them that they would grow up in righteousness and, and God would bring them a, a partner in their life that would bring glory to God. It's not a one-off. Well, I covered that back when they were two. See, the needs we have are every day. And we need to understand we come to God every day. Every day. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Believe me, he's got it in the bank, whatever you need. But we need to come to him and we need to ask. There's lots of needs that we have. And daily bread is not just about physical bread. It's about all of the things that are on our hearts. And the question is the thing that's before you, the burden that you have, the thing that's weighing you down, are you bringing it to the Lord every day? Give us this day, what we need Lord for this day. You're going into a week. Some of you are going into a week that's going to be hard and difficult. And you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to make it to Friday. Don't worry about Friday. Give us this day. What do I need for today? Today. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Lord, I'm crying out to you for your help today. Help for what? Help for our physical needs. What other physical needs we have? Some of you are going to the doctor this week and you're wondering what the report is going to be. And Are you crying out to God every day about that? And the Lord would give you courage and boldness. And if the news is great news, you'll rejoice with those who rejoice. And if it's not so good news or difficult news, you're gonna, okay, I'm leaning in on the Lord here now. I'm going to be praying even more because God, I'm gonna need you. I've got this physical need. Uh, maybe you have financial needs in your home. Are you praying about that? Or are you just trying to wheel and deal and work your way through it and you're not committing it to the Lord and seeking what righteousness would look like in this? And, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, what we need physically. Lord, give us what we need emotionally. Maybe you're in the midst of a hard relationship and things are difficult right now and you need to cry out to God and ask him for help. And we need to do it every day. Maybe you've just heard devastating news. And you're in the middle of the tragedy. Maybe it's a massive disappointment or a death of someone close to you or I don't know what your thing is. Lord, would you give me what I need today for that? Give us this day what we need physically, what we need emotionally, what we need mentally. Lord, I'm in over my head. I'm in over my head. I've got a calculus test on Tuesday. I can't even spell calculus. Lord, you're gonna have to help me with this, okay? Okay, now here's what you don't get to do. You never get to pray this prayer. Lord, if you will bring to my remembrance things I've never studied, I will be a missionary for you wherever you want me to go in the world, okay? Okay, that prayer's never going anywhere good, right? Hashtag fail. (laughs) I know. But when you feel like you're in over your head and you need God's help, you cry out to him for understanding and wisdom so that you will do everything you can so that you will be able to spell calculus before you get there. And you might even know some of the answers on the test and that God would be your helper and he would be your strength and you would be resting in him. But what about for those in the workplace and the struggle you have, the project that you have ahead of you that it seems too hard right now, Lord. I don't know how I can go on. The stress for me is too much. Lord, would you give me what I need for today, just for today, Lord, one day at a time, mental and then spiritual. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to know your word, to apply it well, in my own life. And as we encourage other people, uh, people come up to the front and ask for prayer at the end of services all the time. And they're asked for things that like people, they, they stand here at the front, and they go like, what are we going to tell them? I don't know what to tell them. You're right. We don't. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And so people come and I'm on the You know what? Send me an email. Come on in this week. We're gonna talk about this because I'm like a deer in the headlights at that point. But what I know I can do, I can pray for you right now and I can ask God for wisdom and he will direct our path as we move forward. Lord, give us this day our daily bread, whatever you need, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Daily bread reminds us that we come to him today and that we'll be coming back tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. The word is dependence. We come to God, we come to God dependent on him for what we need. Here's the sixth one. Forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. The point is forgiven, therefore forgiving. Forgiven, therefore forgiving. There's two parts to this, but the first part is understanding that God's forgiveness is available for us. God's forgiveness is available for us when we're separated from Christ without the Savior and we trust the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness is available. It's available. We cry out to the Lord, we call to him, we come in our repentance, understanding our sin and, and he forgives us and he makes us a child of God. But then I said earlier, there's a person in the room who thinks they're sitting on the bench and God is done with you. And so you're like, well, Pastor Paul, you don't know. You just don't know what I've done. You don't know how wretched it is. You don't know how terrible it is. Now I don't. But I know this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. All of it, all the time. David was a murderer and an adulterer, and the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, and regardless of what you've done, regardless of how dirty you think you feel, there's nothing you can do with it if you had just one little sin, and that was all you ever had in your life, you couldn't fix that anyways. And the Lord loves to fix messes and we are messes and he fixes us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we come and we confess and he forgives us. The psalmist wrote when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You need forgiving today, you come to the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. One time, two times, 70 times seven, as often as you come, he forgives our sin. So let the weight of that sit on you a little bit as you consider the second part of what this verse says. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The cry is that God would pour his forgiveness on me like I offer forgiveness to somebody who's sinned against me. And there are people in the room who've had a chip on their shoulder. Somebody did something to them and they might have even have come and asked you to forgive them. And you're like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Really? Let this verse sit heavy on you. Forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Be careful you make that the cry of your prayer. Lord, you offer to me the kind of forgiveness that I'm offering to the people out there who just tick me off, who have sinned against me, who I'm holding it against. I won't let it go. I keep bringing it back up. Yeah, that Lord, that's the kind of forgiveness I want. Really? Christ forgave you when you were in your biggest mess. How dare we hold on to the things of this world? Paul, you're making a bit of a big deal out of that verse, aren't you? Wasn't well, it interesting that right after verse 13 is verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Ouch. 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 Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about in our relationship. He's talking about as we cry out to God and people who are carrying a chip on their shoulder who won't forgive. And believe me, I can understand there are people in the room who got pain that I don't understand. But the Lord Jesus Christ forgave you. We have to come to the place of willingness to forgive each other. Just like Christ forgave you. You find that over in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." The second key to the, the, the sixth key to life-changing prayer is forgiven, therefore, forgiving. And the word is forgiveness. The seventh point of seven keys to life-changing prayer is relying on God's deliverance in your trials. I'm relying on God in my trials. Whatever comes, I'm leaning in on the Lord in my trials. In uh, verse 13, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we think about temptation in our society in 2015, we always think about it as being tempted to sin. That's just the way the word, what the word has become. But that's not what this word is. This word is not about temptation to sin. This word is literally about trials that come. It could include those other things. It's a much broader word. It's about the trials that come our way. And so he says, um, lead us not into the trials, but deliver us. From the evil. My grace is sufficient for you, 2 Corinthians 12 9 says. For my power is made perfect or complete in your weakness. First Corinthians 10:13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but Will with the temptation or the trial, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. And so sometimes that verse gets used and it's talked about like you're tempted to sin. The Lord gave you the outs. Can you see the outs? Yeah, there was an out there and an out there and an out there. And God provided off ramps all over the place. And, And so it can be used to help us in that. But it's really about the trials that we go through and God's caring for us. It's a much broader verse. And so stuff is going to come in your life. For some of you, it's coming today before the day is over and it's gonna be too much for you. But God is faithful and he will not allow a trial in your life that with his help, you can't get through. That's the promise. See, we get messed up when we think we're the ones who have to solve the thing and I've got to figure it out. And then we find ourselves in the ditch and we wonder like, what happened there? No, no, God's help, God's strength to carry us through. Asking for deliverance is a preemptive strike kind of prayer. Well, that's what's going on here. It's like, before it comes, before it comes, Lord, I'm asking that you're going to help me with it. You're not going to leave me alone in this. We're going to get through this together. I can't do it on my own. I need your help, God. It's a preemptive strike kind of prayer. Lord, don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me. God, would you do that? Would you be my helper in that? And he always will, he will always come through. And that's his promise in his word. Seven keys to life-changing prayer, relying on God's deliverance in your trial. The key word is deliverance, deliverance. Well, so what? So what? Followers of Jesus are walking along and they see him praying and they watch John teach his disciples to pray and Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? Hey, Harvest Bible Chapel. Lord, would you teach us to pray? Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Seven words a right relationship, our Father in heaven, right worship, hallowed or holy is your name, a right allegiance, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, a right submission. Not my will, but your will be done. A right dependence. God, give us this day our daily bread. An understanding of forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Just like I'm willing to forgive my debtors. A right deliverance. Lord, don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. See, that's the hope that God gives to us. That's the promise he offers to us. Lord, teach me to pray. So now you sat through a 42 minute message on Lord, teach me to pray. What will we do about it? It's not good enough to just, okay, that was interesting. I got seven words now. Yeah, write them in your flyleaf, and then let's start praying these things. Let's start to make these things the reality in our lives daily, crying out to God as we're walking in the way, as we're driving down the road, as we're on our knees in our living room, wherever we are, that these are the things that become important. They were so important that the disciples said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? He taught them, He taught us, what will we do with what we've learned? Lord, teach us to pray. Powerful prayer. Changing me, changing the world. Let's pray. Father God, uh, this is your word and we thank you for it. For your good hand poured out on us. Lord, as we think about this prayer that Jesus used as a a model and an example, Lord, it's, it's a prayer that we don't even deserve to be able to come to you. But you're our father and you desire that we come. So we come with confidence and boldness knowing that Jesus Christ stands before you on our behalf. It's because of his finished work that we are the adopted children of God. And so we come with great hope. Lord, would you teach teach me to not be a pastor who just talks about prayer, but prays? Would you teach us to be people who just don't sit and learn about prayer? But Lord, we can just take these seven words and use them as the model that will help us to cry out to you, a God who loves us, who's passionate for us, who wants a relationship with us and desires that we continue to grow up into Jesus Christ. Lord, do a work in us that we be people of God crying out to you because you love it when your children come. And just like my dad was ready to set aside, was make things right, whatever was needed, Lord, that's what you do for us. So shame on me, shame on us when we don't come to a heavenly father who loves it when his children pray. Teach us to pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.